0: If you have a team that's going to be tasked with implementing an innovation, get them involved in the process as early and as soon as you can. You're listening to the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast with professional speaker, coach, and consultant, Nicole Greer.
1: Welcome to the Vibrant Culture Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and they call me the Vibrant Coach, and I am here today with Brian Matamor. He is the co-founder, and I love this title, Chief Idea Guy at Growth Engine. It is a 21-year-old innovation agency based in New Canaan, Connecticut. His three seminal books on ideation and innovation process include Idea Stormers and 21 Days to a Big Idea. Brian has managed over 200 successful innovation projects leading to over 3 billion, don't miss that, that was with a B, for his Fortune 500 clients. Brian is also a marketing and innovation instructor for Caltech in their executive education department.
0: I am absolutely delighted to be talking with Brian. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Thanks Thanks for having me, Nicole. You know, when I hear that bio, I get tired. Yeah, you need a nap, right? You need to lay down. If you need to lay
1: down for this, it's okay.
0: I do. Anyway. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, we always start off the, po- the podcast talking about uh, what leadership is. I'm collecting definitions. So Brian, I'm wondering if you've got a definition of leadership.
0: Yeah, well, I hope this is not, you know, a hammer trying to find a nail. But because of my background in creativity and innovation, I, I, I did write down my own definition for leadership. So I have inspiring people to do their creative best in delivering on the leader's vision, mission, and values. Mm. So that's my definition.
1: I love that. Yes. So to use all the genius God gave you and to pay attention to what the leader is asking for being on mission and vision. I love it. That's a fantastic
0: definition. And and you left out values.
1: I'm kidding. yeah, oh I apologize if I write that everybody write
0: that down values. Yes, yes and, and, you know I, the reason I say that because we we've actually done vision, mission and values work. and of course, the vision and mission are the responsibility of senior leadership. But my bias is that values should be created uh, through the organization. I mean, that's what Zappos did. They spent a year polling their employees, getting their values. And, and they got you know hundreds and hundreds of, of submissions, in, and then they called through those, and then they came up in their case with 10. But when, when we've done this work, the key for us is getting people to live those values, of course. And so we've done ideation sessions with our clients on how to, uh, essentially, uh, people in their daily jobs, how they can manifest those values in creative ways. So therefore, this becomes a living experience. It's not some plaque on the wall. But it's something that's um, a living uh, document is the wrong word, but a living experience where people are continuing to um, to to practice those values, but be creative about how they apply them.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I'm a big fan of the the Zappos um, methodology. One yeah. of their core values is be a little weird. And I thought I could work there. That would not be a problem for me.
0: Yeah, no. Well, that Tony Shea unfortunately passed away in a fire. Oh, in it Connecticut. is unfortunate. And uh, but but he, you know, one of his be a little weird things was he got a tattoo, I believe, on his head uh, <laughs> to, to, to uh, reflect that weirdness. So, yeah, it's impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, And it is sad that he is gone. That is for sure. All right. Yeah. So I totally love that. So you said, I've had ideation sessions so that people can have a living experience of their values. I am so curious about what an ideation session might look like. If somebody hired you to have that session, what would it look like?
0: Well, so let me talk generally and then specifically. So, generally, ideation is different than brainstorming, in that, I mean, brainstorming is the generic term, but Ideation techniques use specific triggers to trigger the brain in appropriate ways. We we call this focused ideation, which of course is an oxymoronic term, but um, you know, it's it's using visuals and words and phrases, et cetera, to trigger people appropriately to come up with different ideas. And so my work, you know, and I've spent the last 30 years really researching and applying and empirically validating which kinds of techniques have the greatest likelihood of solving different kinds of challenges. So we've identified four classes of techniques, you know, uh, metaphorical techniques, visual techniques, questioning techniques, and fantasy techniques. And so when we do sessions, uh, a new product session will be structured very, very differently than a strategy session or a cost-cutting session. So to answer your question um, uh, about a value sessions, we would um, probably, and and we, you know, we've experimented with different approaches, but one technique we would for sure use is um, sort of target market wishing, you know? And so we get people to think of who they serve, right? And what would the wishes be of those people that they serve? And then given their jobs, uh, what should they be doing differently to serve those, those customers better? So that's just a simple example.
1: Well, oh, that's fantastic. And you went so quickly. Uh, the four classes of techniques were um, metaphor, visual, I missed the third one, and then fantasy. What was the third one?
0: Was that a question you asked? I'm kidding. Yes. It was questioning. <laughs> I caught you. Yeah. It's all right. Mine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now I know what I got on my hands here. I got a,
1: I got myself a live one on the line, everybody. But you would you would anticipate that the guy is all about creativity. Okay. So question, actually,
0: Nicole. Let me actually talk about questioning because because that's that's critical. Do we that. we typically start with that, and and this is uh, this is. Uh, we do a lot of when we do strategy work. This is critical, obviously, but also any kind of work. It's about framing the challenge uh, appropriately or correctly. And 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 the, the example I sometimes tell is when we were hired by, you know, a, a famous company that manufactures irons. You know, we went into that session not saying uh, how do we invent a new iron. We said how do we do it? How do we invent a new anti wrinkle device? And that framing is allows much much greater creativity because why? Because there's so many assumptions tied into what a an iron is, right? We it all we get a visual picture and and that already we're you know limiting our thinking about what what this thing could be, and so questioning is 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 really critical. And frankly, if you're looking to invent new business models, the other really powerful one is questioning assumptions. And problem redefinition and twenty questions, but uh, questioning assumptions is a really good one as well.
1: Mm, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So your two books that you um, have out. Uh, if we wanted to find more about these techniques, which which book is the right book for that?
0: Well actually I have 5 books out. <laughs>
1: All right. You only told me about 2. So he's holding
0: back on me people. No, it's my fault. I just, you know, we ran out of words in the bio. But um the the best one I think for leaders is uh Idea Stormers. That's published by Wiley Josie Bass. And that's that really uh shares our our history and and frankly unique approaches To dealing with real world challenges. And what I personally love about that book is that there are no Swiffer or Apple stories in there. And and what I mean by that is it's all based on our work. So when we had to name a new product for Ben and Jerry's or, you know, invent a new cookie for, (laughs) For uh, Nabisco or Mondelez or you know do a new strategy session for VSP, the largest insurance vision care insurance company. It's all or, or or help IBM evolve a culture. These are all real world stories. And by the way, just for the aspiring authors out there, it took me like three months to get all these permissions to include these uh, you know these stories because these are obviously confidential. And and uh, Procter and Gamble, just so you know, was was the most uh, difficult to get, you know, the approvals. It was months and months and months. And the thing that, I don't know, if can I say the word piss me off? I don't know.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, you can. It's okay. Okay.
0: okay. The thing that bothered me the most is that they actually improved the stories. And so, you know, in typical PG and g fashion, they, they really pushed me. And I ended up writing, a, if you will, a better account of the work we had done with them if I, if I hadn't gotten their permission. So, That's anyway.
1: right. That's right. And it's just because they probably have a team of lawyers over there. making. They're sure.
0: very, I mean, they're great. I mean, they're some of the best marketers on the planet and it was really fun working with them. You know, luckily we're working in different categories and we're, we're, we're with Unilever uh, because, you know, they're they're tough competitors uh, from each other. So. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, you know, you've got some uh, philosophy right on your website. And uh, don't miss this, everybody. Brian can be found at www.growth-engine.com. And when you go there, you'll see that he's got his philosophy. And um, I love this uh, bullet on here. You said, we believe ideas drive attitude and culture change. And so I know most people are all about, you know, changing the attitudes of people in the culture. So tell me how innovation and ideas helps that.
0: Oh, my gosh. Thank you for that question. I've never been asked yep. that question. And thank you for the research you did on that. You know, um, ideas are exciting, right? Uh, they're also threatening, <laughs> right? But, you know, when my, my father, who had started what became the second largest research firm under the auspices of Time Incorporated. It was called Sammy. He named it after our dog and it competed with Nielsen and ultimately was sold to Sammy Burke, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it was, there was such tremendous excitement in his division at Time Incorporated because they were do, doing something new and succeeding in a, in a big way. And so, you know, people, um, yes, the status quo is threatened by change, and you, you've got to deal with all these obstacles. On the other hand, oh, my gosh, it is so incredibly exciting. You know, when we, I mean, this may sound odd, but when we helped, you know, Thomas's English Muffin invent the new hearty grains line, oh, God, it was so much fun. It became this huge success. It, 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 it made English muffins healthier for certain uh, target market consumers and it became 30% of their business and it margined up the business. I mean, it was just so exciting to be part of that. And, uh, and, and, and the other part of it too, and, and this gets back to my original definition of leadership, you know, people want to self-actualize, people want to grow and, in my, and and they want to work together in unique and profound ways. And I don't know any other better way to do that than frankly, creating something together. Because it requires trust, it requires openness, it qu- requires creativity. It requires you to bring all you can bring to, um, to solve what are you know really difficult challenges. I mean innovation is really hard. And if, and if you screw up, uh, you know, I can say screw up, right? Okay. <laughs> if, you, if you mess up, you know, if, you know you have, if it's a new product and you have the price and the package and the promotion, et cetera, et cetera, if you get one of those elements wrong, you're going to have a failure. And so it, it requires um, great creativity, great flexibility, great team trust. And, um, you know, what's more exciting than that? The other thing I would say, by the way, is that when people look at the legacy, you know, their legacy at an organization, and more and more millennials have pushed us, and I'm so happy about this, you know, to work for organizations where they feel they're making an important contribution to the world. You know, I'd done work with Con Ed, and I asked when I was riding the trucks with him, which was a fantastic experience uh, after 9-11. Um, I because I was giving a workshop, a training workshop to their readers on creativity. And I asked all the the employees I met that day uh, when I did my tour and, you know, crawling through the steam, you know, steam heating and Rockefeller Center, you know, looking for leaks, etc. They all said, without exception, and this was a eureka moment for me. They all said, yeah, well, I said, what are you most proud of? And they said, oh, I created this thing, and, and, and so we got our guys to have cell phones, and therefore, we could respond to the customer faster, or we came up with a new system for the electric grid, or whatever it was. It was always about creating something together. And so that's that's an extraordinary thing that's, that's underleveraged in terms of team building, in my opinion, and leadership.
1: Mm, I love it. Okay. So just to repeat what he just said, um, that over and over again, the thing that Brian heard was creating something together was really the linchpin that brought those folks together. The trust went through the roof, it starts to create a legacy. I think that's yeah.
0: awesome. And, and by the way, if if you happen to, we've led a lot of creative teams. We've done a lot of, quote, innovation, creativity training and it's very rare, but occasionally um, we had one company where we had we created what was called the disruptive innovation group. And this group was about creating truly breakthrough innovations, which by the way is, is very different than creating a line extension, for instance. Uh, uh, so, you know, profound market-changing disruptive um, inventions. If you have even one toxic individual on that team, it's really tough because you can spend so much time analytically justifying moves that are really based on consumer insight, gut, intuition, et cetera. And so I hate to say this, but you need to get that person off the team. <laughs> and there are very few of these people on the planet, but there are some of these, you know, these are Darth Vader's missionaries. Uh, you you got to get them off the team because you're uh, that trust factor is so critical and, and they're, and what's weird is that they tend to be very bright, very analytical, and it's almost like you can't argue with them. Yes, well, we should do a market study in order to validate. Well, okay, but we don't have time for that. We got to move on. And so um, I, I, I hate to bring that up, but but if we're getting real here, when you form especially disruptive innovation groups, you know, those who are doing breakthrough ideas, you you need special individuals, or not even special, but but not negative people. <laughs> on that
1: team. Yeah. Well, I would assume that they need to be people who are excited, fun, Understand this is a business. We got to up the margins, people who want to grow and people who like to create together. I mean, those are all the things you said just a minute ago. Those are the kind of people you got to have on the team, right?
0: Yeah. And, and the other two I would add, were, which are implicit in what we, we said there, was one, you know, sort of a flexibility of spirit, right? Which is kind of implicit in that. And the other one that's really, really important that I think people often miss they have to be comfortable dealing with ambiguity we've had a lot of clients will be doing focus groups or qualitative research and they'll be in the back and consumers will say conflicting things and they're freaking out because they go, Oh my gosh, there's there's one saying this and one saying that. And to us, we're very excited about that because this ambiguity or paradox or questioning or contradictions that are occurring, those are potentially invitations to um, great insights and great thoughts and even great breakthroughs. And so you need people who are less about checking off the box, which some clients are, because they're crazed. We're all crazed. And, and they're moving down that road a la stage gate, which which we hate generally. <laughs> but but you know, they 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 have to be comfortable uh, with, with ambiguity because that's the nature of innovation and creativity.
1: That's right. That's right. And, you know, um, I was reading this morning uh, a book called Persuasion, and he was talking about the duality of life. And this word duality keeps coming around to me. And I just heard that from you. Like, yes, we have to check the box, but also we have to be okay with ambiguity for today and not check the box. It's kind of this, but we'll eventually get the box checked. But right now, we're just holding the space between these two things.
0: Yeah, it's I, that's extremely well said. I, I love that that you said holding the space uh, between these two things. I, I I couldn't agree more. It is about holding the space, and part of our jobs as consultants is to hold that space um, to not prematurely commit because you're nervous. You know, you oh yeah, you don't want control. We all want control, right? But but a big part of our job is holding that space where where that that ambiguity or confusion uh can reign because that because you need to you know learn more in order to know which way to go.
1: Yeah, 100%. Well, I'm super curious about maybe an innovation that came out of your disruptive innovation groups. Can you share a story of something? You said it wasn't an extension of a product line. Maybe that was more like your English muffin folks, but, yeah. you know, you got something like totally, radically, amazingly new. I'm so curious to hear of the coolest thing you think you've ever been part of.
0: <laughs> well, I have so many stories. It's 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 hard to choose. They're all sort of uh, my babies, if you will. I, I hate to do in that way, but... I'm going to tell this story because I think it's important for the listener in terms of the principle behind it and, okay. and what we we're just talking about. So we had been hired by a craftsman tool, actually Danaher. Danaher, was manu- Danaher is a large manufacturing firm, unbelievably successful, extremely profitable, a darling of Wall Street. At the time, they were manufacturing the ratchets, wrenches, and sockets for uh, Sears, okay? And so- Anyway, one of the ideas that, that, that came out of that work that their team had developed was this idea of a laser etched socket. I hope this doesn't sound too technical, but what what all? It, and by the way, this is you wonder why on these ads during you know during Christmas they always have the ratchets, wrenches, and socket sets, right? They have those because it's about a three hundred fifty million dollar business. And and we couldn't understand that because they have uh, lifetime guarantees. If you lose something or break something, they'll replace it. So like, what's going on here? It turned out when we did all the research and we did a lot of research around the country with with tuners and, you know, motorcycle owners, et cetera, et cetera, we discovered that people like to have multiple sets. And and especially now women uh, who are doing uh, a lot of the, you know, at-home repairs, they want their own set. Don't touch my tools. Anyway. So they, they we had this idea of uh, ratchets uh, of a, of a laser at socket, which allowed them to use lasers to make the size about 10 times higher, bigger than it was. I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a socket, but it's like stamp seven, H. You can hardly see the damn thing. And uh, I tell this story because the buyer at Sears, when he first saw that it would be 10 or 20% more said, oh, uh, people are not going to pay for that. You know, it's, it's yeah, it's nice. Yeah, you can read it, but they can read it anyway. Give me a break. To his credit, we did some qualitative research and he was in the back room, you know, behind the glass. Consumers went Zoom for this. They're like, oh my gosh, I'll be under, I'll be able to see this thing. I, my grandfather who does repairs, his vision is going, he's going to, and on and on and on. And what was so cool about that, and the reason I tell this story is because the buyer at Sears, when he saw this, he said, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm wrong. You know, how many times do a client say they're wrong? We are watching this next month. And and they did, and it was a huge success. And so, what's the principle there? You know, the one of the principles is the best clients are the best ones to work with. Number one. Uh, you know, the clients that need us the least are the ones we like to work with the most. That's number one. But number two is. You know, you sort of begin and end with the consumer, right? There's also flexibility in the buyer here, but but you know, the consumer will tell you, and and we do a lot of uh, iterative, qualitative. We go back and forth, back and forth. By the time you do that enough, you're gonna you're gonna get something that's that the that people say, yeah, I want that, and um, so I tell that story because it goes back to making sure that you're continually and constantly checking in with the consumer for, or the customer, if it's B2B, whatever.
1: Okay, all right. So the principle, uh, begin and end with the customer or the consumer, which yes. is actually on his philosophy page. So he's ahead of me.
0: noticing, yes. Did we start yeah. with that one? I hope we did. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: good. That's good. All right. Well, um, I love this one. Employees at every level of an organization have the potential to make creative contributions to the enterprise. I have always thought that that the people on the quote unquote front line uh, really know what's going on. Uh, tell us a little bit about that.
0: Well, you know, when uh, my business partner Gary Fraser was, uh, he, he, we co-founded Growth Engine 21 years ago. He was my lead client at Unilever. At one point, he was running the oral care division of of Unilever, and their team created Mentadent, which became a $250 million brand, uh, you know, against the two toughest marketers on the planet, Colgate and Crest, right? And um, you know what was extraordinary? There were there were hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of challenges. I don't know if you remember Mentadent, but it had a, a dual dispenser and the baking soda and peroxide merged on the the toothbrush. It was since bought by Church and Dwight with uh, baking soda, and they they kind of killed the brand, frankly. And it, it, was a, it was fantastic product, but but I mention that because. They could the team could not figure out how to do this plastic dual dispenser to manufacture it at high speed. They had engineers working on it for months and they couldn't figure it out. Well, you know who solved it? It was the guys on the front line, the, the manufacturing guys. They went to them and said, What do you think we should do? And they they had to you know, nest two pieces together in order to make this thing work. And the manufacturing guy said, well, let's just have them, you know, slowly, slowly vibrate them together. And at the end of the line, they'll, they'll come together successfully. And, and you see this over and over again, your point, the people on the front line um, have such extraordinary contributions to make. You know, when we did, um, and this was also for, for Unilever, we did um, 25 cost cutting sessions around the country and we did it because we knew if we went, you know, to the manufacturing plant in Missouri, these people would have all kinds of ideas on ways to cut costs, and that absolutely was true. And that led to about fifty million dollars in savings. So uh, I couldn't agree more. The people on the front lines, man, you, you got to go talk to them, and you got to have them contribute. And by the way, if if you have a team that's implementing and that's going to be tasked with implementing an event in, in innovation. Get them involved in the process as early and as soon as you can, and this could include the finance guy, right? The 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 um, you know the logistics guy, etc. Because or girl, excuse me, gal, whatever. You 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 want them because you want them to have ownership because you want the team again to come together to, to manifest things, and you need all these different talents to make it work.
1: Absolutely, I love that. Yeah, I'm working with a credit union right now. To- to kind of revamp how they uh give customer service. So I'm taking lots of great notes. Uh get people in there early um, and so that they will take ownership. That's the bottom line there. I love it. Yeah. So you say innovation is all about passion. I think that pa- the word passion and excitement and fun, all of those kind of go together. So uh when you're putting together the people who will be part of your, you said the uh disruptive innovation group at your at your place of business, yeah. uh, how do how do you pick? How do you know? How do you, get, how do you uh,
0: seek out the passionate ones? Oh, that's a great question. And, you know, sometimes we, we, if I do a one shot, you know, a, a couple uh, last month, whenever it was, I worked with a manufacturing company that had uh, of their 700 employees, over 300 of them were blind. OK, so how <laughs> could I not work with that organization? Right. I mean, how cool Fantastic. is that? But And these are these are passionate people passionate people to work with. In terms of the innovation team, you know, you want cross-functionality for sure. You know, you want the finance guy on the team, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, when when I, because occasionally I'll do one-shots, a company will call me up, like this manufacturing firm, this was a one-shot, right? And they said, well, who should we invite to the session? Right. And I said, you know, get all these cross-functional people, get people that are responsible for implementation. And then I said, also, oh, by the way, invite your most creative people. (laughs) And they're going, what do you mean? What are you talking about? I said, well, you know who some of the creative people are, right? The admin over there who writes poetry, right? Or the finance guy, right? Who's a painter, you know, whatever. Um, Lawyers. I mean, I've been shocked how, frankly, creative lawyers can be in sessions we've done because they're about, in some cases, or a lot of cases- coming up with ways to either create rules or get around them creatively. And so I don't know if I answered your question, but it, it, it's, it's you know, this is where we get into somewhat of the gut, right? Who should we have in that session? And by the way, when we do sessions, we, we will often, if, if it's appropriate, encourage our clients to, you know, invite suppliers in, you know, the ad agency, certainly the promotion agency, the digital PR agency, et cetera, you know, get, get those outside perspectives. We've, we've also done sessions where we've um, co-created with consumers. You know, when we created the uh, Brownie Chips Ahoy wine for, uh, for they we had um, creative consumers be part of that process as well, uh, because they give, you know, they give an outside perspective that you can't get, right? So the, the bigger thought here is diversity in every sense of the word, in the best sense of the word, is critical when you're doing this work.
1: I love it. Okay, fantastic. All right. So um, it all begins w- and ends with the consumer or the customer. You just circled back around to that. So I didn't want anybody to miss that. He just said, you know, you bring the actual consumer in to help you yeah. with the disruptive change. So he circled back around to that. And of course, uh, here on the Vibrant Culture podcast, we love to talk about leadership. And you say it takes courageous leadership to do
0: innovation.
1: Talk, talk to me about exactly what cr- a courageous leadership might look like. And maybe you have a story for me.
0: I, I do. And I'll add some other C's to this, you know, on the oh, podcast we do, you know, the, the podcast is called Curious and Quirky, right? So, and you mentioned it earlier, you're curious, you, you want curious people, right? And, you know, frankly, if they're, they're a little quirky, that's okay too, right? The courageous part of it is that you know, just because you had mentioned it, uh, by definition, almost when you're trying to create something new, you're going to run into you know challenges, and and the challenges are not a bad thing because the organization, you know, that you've got, you you want to get the donuts out. You've got to get efficient in your processes, and um, that's a creative act too. By the way, we've worked with a lot of companies to quote make them more efficient. But when you're trying to create something really, really new, you're, you're challenging authority. You're doing things that have never been done, and so it's really easy to um, to give up. You know, when when Gary was doing mentadent, oh my God, they, they they solved hundreds and hundreds of problems along the way, and so you have to be courageous about that. I'll, I'll give you an example um, from 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 the world of. Female razor blades. How's that?
1: Okay, I, I'm all about the female razor blade. I use one daily. Go ahead.
0: So we we were working with uh, Schick and um, and uh, we had done some innovation audits, helped them to launch and invent some new products. Anyway, in, in the audit, we we talked to uh, to the two women who were responsible for the intuition razor, and that's the razor that combines uh, soap uh, or, or you know on the razor head and uh, sort of an all-in-one motion, right? Well, when they had come up with that idea, internally, you know, Schick and, you know, a lot of these companies that bend metal are sort of male, more male-oriented or male-dominated, right? And so these were 2 a woman engineer and a woman or female um, marketer. And they, you know, just the status quo, there was resistance. And so, what did they do? They were very, very clever about it. They sort of beg, borrow, and steal, and they would do a little research here and test it here and get some consumer reaction there and talk to the manufacturer. And so, they were very, you know, sort of under the radar, right? And what they did, which was so clever, even though they were under the radar, they would report when they would have successes, you know, oh my God, the consumer like this and the consumer like that. If and, and in the process, you're going to have failures too. So they didn't report the failures. They just, you know, in the organization, let people know about the successes, even though with all this great resistance. And then when, um, you know, there became a hole in the launch calendar for new products, because as you know, you, you, you have new products slated for, you know, two or three years out. And if one of them doesn't, you know, pan out, then you might have a hole. And so there was a hole. And 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 the senior leadership there said, you know, I've been hearing good things about this intuition razor. Maybe we should look at that. And that launched, and um, that became their most successful new product in the last ten years. When when that launched, and and so you know, you want to be very creative about how you do things. Use these ideation processes I'm talking about, not only to get the eureka idea. But to innovate it, to solve the hundreds and hundreds of problems. The, you know, in the case of Mentadent, my partner Gary had to go to the board and get $10 million of funding to build the plant. And if the board says no, you're done. And so he was very clever too. He went, he, months before that decision was going to be made, he went to every board member and said, had a private meeting with them and said, by the way, do you have any you know about this project we're working on? Are there is there anything that bothers you? Any questions you have? And so yeah, one would say, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that people will pay twice the cost per ounce over Colgate or Crest for your new toothpaste. And he said, OK, well, I'll get back to you with, on that. Then you get it back to him, show them results. And so by the time it came for the vote. And this was true of my father, too, when he got the funding from Time Incorporated. um, They were all on board. And so it almost became a stamped approval because he had been creative about how he got them to uh, to, you know, um, schedule and and the the 10 million dollars he needed. Mm,
1: That's a fantastic story. I love it. Okay, so um, you say that innovation approaches can be taught. Yes. So, so tell me a little bit more about um, how a company might begin to teach their people to be more innovative. They can call you in for training, correct? But they,
0: they
1: wanted if they wanted to get started. How how might they get started, and what what would that look like? How do you get your team innovative?
0: Yeah, and this may sound um, antithetical or, or or counterintuitive, or I would say the last thing you want to do. Is hire an innovation process consultant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and okay, and you, okay. Do not call Brian. Don't call <laughs> Brian. Write don't, that down. Don't call us. And what <laughs> and what I mean by that is that you know if if it's a large company and they have a lot of money and and uh, not that some of the the big guys you know the I, I'm reluctant to mention the names because we've worked with a lot of these organizations but the the famous consulting firms let's just call it that. Um, you know, they'll come in and you'll spend a million and a million and a half dollars and build the innovation process. And we think that is exactly the wrong thing to do. And the reason we think that's wrong is because each industry is different. Each culture is different. You know, each market is different. Each manufacturing, everything, every company is its unique. It's like, you know, people, they're all different. So the, what we do um, is we, when we're hired to do now, now we'll come in and we'll do creativity training and, and we do what's called action learning. And that's great because people get a BOGO, meaning, you know, they'll get ideas for their challenge and they'll learn the techniques. So we've, you know, for Louis Vuitton, at Hennessy we've been doing that for 20 years and it's unbelievably successful because these senior managers learn these techniques and um, and get ideas for their business. That's that's over here. But if we're talking at a higher level of innovation process, right? Frankly, we don't know their business as well as they do. Well, how do we presume to tell them what how they structure for this? So the way we do it is we go in and we say, "Listen, give us your worst performing performing division. Give us you know the the area an area where you're having a real problem." We will come in. We will do an innovation consulting project. Hopefully, we'll succeed in that. And in the process, we will learn what innovation processes could really help your organization, right? And so it's an inductive, bottom-up. You know, The, the cool thing, in our opinion, the reason we love doing that is, A, we get smart about their business. But, B, our costs, our, our consulting fees are justified because we're – you know, creating value every step of the way by helping them launch new divisions, new business models, uh, new products, new services, or whatever. So, um, <laughs> so don't hire innovation process consultants yet.
1: <laughs> All right, so we we need to get the five books, right? We need to get the five books. Read okay. the five books, yeah. right? Okay. And um, so let me ask you this, um, you know, leaders, maybe they, they do have you come in, they do have um, all this innovation and uh, training and they put all these things into place. Uh, what, what is the, when the rubber meets the road, what makes a, an organization more likely to stay with the innovation and continue to be because you have to be you know moving into the to the world that we live in and if you're not staying innovative I think you're going to be out of business. We all know that we've talked about the blockbusters and whatever. Um, so so if what what is the thing that a leader can do to keep that going? Like once you leave the process, what 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 has to happen? What, what's the magic formula there?
0: Well that's such a great question. Th- thank you for that. Um, You know, uh, I hate to say it because this is a really bad analogy in this time, but before COVID happened, it was a good analogy, but I'll use it anyway. Uh, we, We think of this as benevolent viruses, right? And so you create these pockets of passion, you create these areas of success, and these are supported by the senior leadership. If senior leadership, and that could be the CMO, um, the CEO, the board, whatever, if they are not supportive of innovation, it's going to be really, really tough. So because they're going to be, there's going to be a lot of failure, you know, and agile, you know, fail fast and all that kind of stuff. There, there's a lot of value to that. And by the way, if you're doing truly breakthrough innovation, um, you can fail really fast, but it may be two, three, five, 10 years before this thing's going to be manifest. Uh, if it's a true breakthrough, like the Moderna drug took, took 10 years, you know, um, b- believe it or not, it started as a it, it's this month's uh, HBR article talks about that process where they started about can we use messenger RNA to to create drugs that ultimately led to the vaccine. So that was 10 years in the making, even though it seemed like it happened overnight. But of course, you've got to have support all along the way. Right. For 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 this. So, you know, with these um, from from an innovation leader standpoint, you uh, They've got to have a vision of of where they want to go. Their strategy has to be, by the way, I would just say that most strategies and, and we've done now a lot of strategic consulting work on the innovation side. Most strategies are, are a function of the past, you know, trying to look forward rather than being creative, bringing creativity into the strategic planning process. So, um, the to keep it going, which was really your question, right? I'm getting there. Uh, you, <laughs> I'm a patient woman. It's OK. It's OK. <laughs> Thank you. Um, y- you need talent and you need commitment. You know, you need both of those things. And yes, some people are much more talented at innovation than others. Right. And so, you know, you need those talented people, especially when you're doing the breakthrough stuff. If it's line extension work, Um, They don't need to be. They they can be great business people and less talented from an innovation standpoint. Um, That's one thing. uh, So so you need the talent, but the biggest thing is you need the continuing commitment uh, by senior senior leaders to support the the ugly innovation, ugly chaotic, you know, uh, problem fraught (laughs) process. Of 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 innovation, you know, and and part of that, by the way, just so you, as we all know, it's being o- open to partnerships, right? Partnerships are, are critical, even more critical than they ever were. Um, you know, the world is changing so quickly; we can't do it in house. As a leader, we've got to find those strategic partnerships, and and we've worked with a fair number of of, of our clients in terms of when they've made an acquisition, for instance. It's like they bought them for a specific purpose but then we've gone and said okay given their competencies and your competencies what can we do together that we hadn't anticipated and that's really fun work right and and that's by being creative together it gets back to where we started in this this interview here which was by working together it can help bring those cultures together so if you're if you've just if you're a CEO and you've just bought brought bought uh, a company my advice is to, you know, besides mission, vision, and values work together, is to be creative about a new venture. And in the process, you will uh, start to bring those cultures together in unique and wonderful ways. Yeah. Did I sort of answer your question? <laughs> you did. You did.
1: Uh, I, what I heard uh, out of all that, if I bottom-lined it, um, okay. what would be that you, you have to have a continuing commitment. And really, the the, the buck falls with the ceo or the leader i think at the end of the day we're not going to have innovation it's not going to continue and unless that word is coming out of his or her mouth and we are you know we have a flag and we're walking up down the hallways with the flag that says continuous uh commitment and innovation and i love what you said about ugly chaotic all that um well, I, you might appreciate this brian you know people will be like Um, You know, tell us what it's going to be like to work with you, Nicole. And I say, well, it's going to be messy. And they're like, messy? And I'm like, yeah, really messy. Because, you know, change is messy and ugly and chaotic and all those things. So that's what I tell them. And surprisingly, people still sign up. All right. So I'm sure that's the case with you, too. So here's here's my question for you. Um, You know, we're, we're talking about innovation. Uh, You know, we've got Corona out there. I think it is slowly lifting and going away. At least that's where my heart wants it to be lifting and going away. Um, What are are the biggest challenges leaders have today in your mind that, that they've got to really pay attention to?
0: Well, as you know, there are a lot of them. Initially, it was uh, supply chain and logistics challenges, but as we're hopefully going to work through that, and and the experts I've spoken with at Caltech about supply chain said, you know, the Grinch is going to be stealing Christmas because we're we still have those issues of supply chain. But beyond that, um, you know, how do you keep the the ideas flowing and? A lot of our clients, and I wrote an article about this, Um, it it was in a magazine, um, Ambition magazine for for 50,000 MBA students, but it was how to think about virtual ideation was the title of the article and they can search it it'll come up. But, you know, frankly, I didn't, I was skeptical that, you know, virtual ideation could be successful and not, I, I said, well, okay, it'll probably work at 20%, but it's, Oh my gosh it's been it's it's surprised the heck out of me that we've been able to figure out how to structure sessions virtually and you structure them very differently it turns out there are actually some advantages to it too besides you know not getting together and getting sick or having to travel or the time savings but there there are other advantages in that you can invite different people at different times you know, we were going to do a two-day uh, strategy and new product session for a, a famous cheese company. Um, we didn't because of of, of COVID, um, but you know, it allowed us to invite different people to different parts of the session. Whereas, if a guy's flying in from France, you know, and you're going to say, "Oh, we, we only need you for two hours," <laughs> you know, he's not going to be happy, right? So, anyway, the the I guess the point is that. Um, the technology came just in time, right? The, the Zoom and Microsoft Teams, et cetera, and the online um, creativity programs uh, exist. So you can succeed virtually uh, with this stuff until we can get back together. And, and as I said, at the end of the article, I think it's gonna be a hybrid, right? It's like the analogy I say is like when movies came out or when TV came out you know, in the 50s and got big, everybody in the movie industry was thinking they'd be out of business. But of course they weren't because movies provide an experience that you can't get um, at home. And and so, you know, they've coexisted nicely. And so that's obviously what's happening now with, with uh, the virtualness of of COVID. I I think the biggest challenge to, to, again, to answer your question is probably in some ways maintaining the culture because, you know, people need people, right? You want to, oh my gosh, it's so much fun to get together, right? And so, you know, Zoom and Teams can only go so far. The in-person thing is critical. You know, we were during, you know, the height of COVID, one of our clients, they, um, out on the West Coast, they manufacture huge drilling equipment machines. They decided we'd follow all the protocols, but this, they invited um, twenty of their customers in because they wanted them to have that experience together, and so we did that, and and it worked, and it was oh my god, so much fun. But the the I think the big challenge is how do you continue to build the culture uh, when when you know getting together is, isn't it is is easy. And by the way, just as a side note, um, one of the articles I wrote in in, in one of the books is. The book is called Winning the War for Talent in the 2020s. You know, talent, uh, talent wars are raging. And, and so my, my chapter was um, how to invent uh, jobs that don't yet exist as a vehicle for attracting and retaining talent. OK. And and so the point is, you want to create environments that get people thinking about the future, inventing the future, uh, both for the organization, but also for themselves. And that's the way you keep people involved, and that's the way you help build culture—at least one way, in my opinion.
1: Mm, I love it. Okay, so uh, I need two pieces of information for you. The first article that you uh, were talking about—that was in Ambition Magazine. Will you will you say it for me again, so everybody can get it? Because I didn't capture it.
0: Yeah, it's it's called um, "How to Think About Virtual Ideation."
1: How to think about virtual ideation? All right, yeah. everybody got it.
0: Yep, yep.
1: All right. That's not one. Okay. And then you said you were part of a book up called about uh, winning the war for talent in 2020 yeah.
0: or 2021? No, it was in the 2020s. So for 2020s. 2020s.
1: Okay.
0: Yes. Yep. And the, the subhead is 11 insights from the Global Institute for Thought Leadership. And, and the chapter I have in there uh, is that chapter about, you know, inventing jobs that don't yet exist as a vehicle for attracting and retaining talent. Uh, we use it's a really fun piece we use uh it's called the semantic intuition technique it's word combination and so you you wind up inventing jobs that don't yet exist because you know in 10 years 85 percent of the jobs that people will be doing don't exist right now and so to to build culture to be innovative you 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 want your people thinking about the future in that way and um and and so that's Something we created, and we've given. uh, I've done this with Chris Bishop, who was formerly a futurist at IBM. Uh, We've done this for colleges and uh, universities around the country, and for STEAM teachers. And um, there was one Eureka moment. I loved it, where this one uh, MBA student said to us, "You know, I was interested. I'm an engineer. I'm interested in Internet of Things, but I'm also interested in fashion." And I thought that I would have to choose between the two. And after going through your workshop, I realized that I could combine the two. And the Internet of Things, uh, you know, uh, fashion that that includes, you know, electronics and Internet of Things could be an extraordinary thing. So anyway, the, the point here is that, you know, we all need to be future oriented. Uh, oh, and, and and just if they want that, this book is available on Amazon, if, if anybody's interested in it.
1: Okay. And is that the one that is the, tell me which book you just held up. I didn't see it. it was
0: this t- was yeah. the Winning the War for Talent in the 2020s.
1: Oh, okay. Um, Very good.
0: Yep. The other book where I had a, a chapter is, uh, it's called the, uh, the Other Side of Growth. The um, Other Side of Growth. Yep. And this one, this is the picture here. This was published by the um, Global Innovation Institute and this one is also available online. The chapter I wrote in this one, which which actually got a, a an award, which I was very proud about of, it was um values as a vehicle. Uh let's see, well well, oh, geez, I'm losing. Uh do 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 something like <laughs> Okay, well, this
1: values as a vehicle, this sounds like we're going to come full circle right now, listeners, because earlier he corrected me because I left out values, don't miss that. So uh, what we're doing here is we need to start out with uh, a creative um, session where you talk about mission, vision, and values. Okay, so here we
0: go. It's called (laughs) Organizational Values, an Essential Tool for Creating a Culture of Innovation is what is what that chapter is called. So.
1: Okay. Fantastic.
0: I got it. You You got it. Thank you. I got it. I got it.
1: Well, we're at the top of the hour and I just wanted to ask you one final question, although we probably need to have you come back and share more and more and more. (laughs) If you were uh, mentoring a single special listener, we've got a we've got a leader out there and he's like, I know the writing's on the wall. I've got to get my innovation ramped up around here. And he's listening to all this. Maybe he or she is a little overwhelmed with the whole thing. Well, what little piece of advice, leadership advice would you give them so that they could just take like a next right step?
0: Well, at the higher levels, I think, frankly, leaders need to be, I've called them facilitating leaders, right? So they need to be able to facilitate the greatness within the organization. And that's speeches, but, you know, that's part of it. The other part of it is I do think that every medium and large side company should have, I'll call them an ideation strategist. If we go through the thinking and say, well, ideas are critical to our organization, not only in terms of innovation, but cost cutting and solving daily problems. Well, we should have somebody who is an expert in ideation uh, techniques and processes who can lead session and train team, team leaders to do that. And then finally, at the individual level, you know, I, you know we talk about diversity and inclusion and, and, and I've given speeches now to National Association of Community College Entrepreneurship, and we find out there are high dropout rates among uh, Black students because the culture is not uh, good. Sometimes at the community college, they don't feel a sense of uh, culture. And I think the great equalizer, if you will, or, or way to help all groups, um, you know, underserved uh, groups attain great, you know, uh, rise to the top is by having the skills to come up with new ideas. And you know, my, my book, 21 Days to a Big Idea, is was all about helping aspiring entrepreneurs come up with new ideas for new ventures. But, but it's not even that. It's the entrepreneurial mindset. It's the creative problem mindset. I think, my gosh, it is such an equalizer. If you have ideas and they are unique, you have power because you're the only one that has them. And you can control when you say it, to whom you say it, how you say it. And, and if you want to rise to the top of an organization, man, you, you have to, in these times particularly, have the ability to come up with new ideas. And I've spent my entire life trying to invent and share processes that enable people to do that.
1: Mm. All right, so what I heard you say is <laughs> your ideas have power and you need to get a hold of Brian's book that he just held up 21 days to a big idea. and he will uh, take you through that and that it is the great equalizer. Um, And you can uh, I love what you said, too, about, you know, you once you have them, you'll know when to use them, when to share them, who to give them to uh, so that you have some leverage really to get your career where it needs to go. So that is fantastic advice. And so I just want everybody to know that you can reach out to Brian Matamor. You can reach him at www growth-engine.com, and he would be glad to talk with you. Also, you can get up with him on LinkedIn, and he's on Twitter at Brian Mattimore with a number one, all right? So that's where all the places we can find you. What else else would you like to share a final thought with us, Brian?
0: The final thought is I want to give you a a compliment, Nicole, because one of the great components of, of innovation, creativity, culture change is what? It's listening, right? And you have done, frankly, and I hope this doesn't sound obsequious in any way, shape or form, because I really do mean it. Uh, you have done a fantastic job of researching and listening and, and, and sharing back what I said. And that's a unique talent. And I can see why you're you're very good at your work, because, um, you know, as consultants, my gosh, if we're not listeners, curious listeners... Uh, we're nothing. So so thank you for that. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it's been my distinct pleasure. Uh, I'm going to hang up on, on our Zoom call here, but I'm going to go out and get, get copies of your books. And um, I'm going to start giving them to people uh, because I think the work you're doing is so necessary. Thank you, Brian Matamor for being me. on the Build a Vibrant Culture podcast. Everybody have a great day.
0: Thanks, Nicole.